Good morning. It is Friday. I know you're excited out there. October the 4th. Thanks for tuning in. This is Daniel Workman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. 8 a.m. on the East Coast. 6 a.m. out in the mountains and all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in on this Friday. Coming up in just a few minutes, we are going to be joined by a serious XM producer. He uh, used to work with Eric Winalda on his show, Winalda Talks Football, as well uh, with Sirius XM, Andrew Pissarro. Look forward to uh, catching up with him and talking to him. Uh, in just a few in in just a few minutes, um, but before we do, I want to open the show talking about some of the the recent chatter back and forth on Sergino Dest. Now he is a dual national; he can play for the United States uh, for the men's national team. He can also play for the Dutch national team for the Netherlands. He up uh, he plies his trade with Ajax. He is breaking in and, and getting first team minutes with Ajax. For those who don't know, Ajax's home stadium, Croy Stadium, is also the home of the Dutch national team. Now, this summer, um, while we were in Europe, my family and I were in Europe, uh, we made the rounds throughout Europe. We were in we were in Amsterdam, we were in Paris, we were in Liverpool, we were in London, Copenhagen, Barcelona. And while we were in Amsterdam, we actually went on a stadium tour of Ajax's home stadium. And you get to go all around the stadium, into the visitor's locker room, into the home locker room. And one of the cool things about the stadium there's a couple things, but one of them that's really cool is because it's also kind of the national stadium for the Dutch national team, when they have a match for the Dutch national team, they come in to the locker rooms and for the Dutch teams, it doesn't look like Ajax plays there. They totally skin everything for the Dutch national team. And then when, when they're not playing, when it's, when it's Ajax playing and that's their home ground, then obviously everything's set up for Ajax. But it's a, it's a really cool stadium. Another thing about that stadium is it is retractable roof. It's 50,000 plus seats. It is an amazing stadium. I really, really, really liked it a lot. Um, it's a nice pitch. It's a nice stadium. It's a nice environment. It's easily accessible right there in Amsterdam. Incredible place. That's where you're playing every day, every game day. When you're playing with the, when the, with the first team of Ajax. And then you have the U S men's national team. You look at the two teams, you look at your age, you look at the age of the players on the Dutch national team, and if you feel like you have a legitimate shot, a legitimate opportunity at being a senior player for the Dutch national team, I don't know how you pick the U.S. men's national team. I mean, just... just for a moment, think about you've got two center backs in Van Dyke and DeLitt. That's just your center backs. Then you got Frankie de Jong in the midfield. You've got all these other great Dutch players surrounding them. And then you've got the U.S. men's national team. A program that is, it failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup in October of 2017, so two years ago. And in two years, if you're Dest and you're looking at the U.S. Men's National Team and you have a legitimate shot at being a senior player, at locking in a spot and being, you know, being someone that can be a contributor 
on the Dutch national team, and you're looking at the two years since the U.S. men's national team failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup, what has the U.S. men's national team program, what has the U.S. Soccer Federation shown you to give you any sense of confidence that that's where you need to go and ply your trade with the national team? I mean, you cannot say this team's made progress. They haven't, they haven't done anything. They haven't won anything. They don't look any better. As a matter of fact, you can make the case they look worse. And, and, and that's crazy because they look really bad. But they actually look worse. They look lost. There's this reliance on we have to keep trying to pumping, keep pumping in Major League Soccer players, MLS players, over and over again. We won't turn it over to the youth, the next generation, those who have been bold and courageous and trying to at least get something done in Europe. It's not happening. We keep turning to Michael Bradley and Giazzi Zardes and Josie Altador. We'll trap. These are players that are not going to lead the U.S. men's national team into glory. They are not going to lead the men's national team into a higher standing on the global stage, advancing, leading us forward. We should be turning our men's national team into a team for the future. Let's, we've got to fully embrace the rebuild, get an identity, get the right players coming in, and actually do something of substance. Show real progress in a plan. You can't say what we're seeing right now is a plan. It's not a plan. It's a wish. It's a hope. It's a prayer. I don't know who you're praying to, and I don't know what wishing well you're throwing your pennies in, but it's not working. If I'm Sergino Des and I'm looking at this, and if I'm any other dual national with a legitimate prospect at another country, if I'm, if I'm Mexican-American and I have a real shot at El Tree, why are you picking the U.S. men's national team unless it's just your fallback option? And if it is, that's fine. I have no doubt that if you put on that jersey, you will wear it with pride and you'll do your best. And I'm cool with that. But if you have a real legitimate shot, a real opportunity, and you're looking at yourself in the mirror, you're looking at at this opportunity with wide eyes and a sober mind. To me, I, I think there's only one choice. If it's a legit opportunity and you believe that you have the ability to make a place in a, in a side like the Dutch national team, which I think over the next you know four, six, eight years is going to be extremely competitive in Europe and on the world stage, and you're looking at the U.S. men's national team that even if they got it figured out, even if they came up with a plan tomorrow, and said, hey, we finally, after two years, here it is, here's our plan, and it was coherent and it makes sense, there's still going to be time. It's still going to take time to get this thing sorted out, to get it fixed. They pulled the plug on Jurgen Klinsmann. They brought in Bruce Arena. It didn't work. They went with an interim manager. didn't work. They brought in the, the brother of the COO of U.S. Soccer. hasn't worked. Where's the plan? Where's the strategic plan for the U.S. men's national team? It's probably sitting on the bookshelf right next to the plan for all of U.S. soccer. The bookshelf that doesn't exist because the plans don't exist. There's a lot of talk about committees and leadership and this and that, but it's not actually happening. One of the things that that we have got as a country when it comes to American soccer is we've got to quit listening to words and start looking at actions. What have you done and what are you doing? And what has, from your words, has translated into action? And action can be a plan. It can be a piece of paper saying, this is what we are going to build. This is our mission. This is our goal. If I were in charge of American soccer, if I was over the U.S. Soccer Federation, I would, I would sit down with every stakeholder and I would simply tell all of them one thing. It would be this. 
I believe that we can be and should be the greatest soccer country on earth. And I will not rest until everyone has opportunity and access to get us there. Period. Now let's figure out a plan to make that work. Anyone sitting out there with, with, with trepidation or angst or, or any kind of derision uh, aimed or directed at Sergino Dest? I mean, do you really understand the choice before him? If he really has an option to play for the Dutch national team and they are seriously recruiting him and giving him real consideration, why in the world... Would you walk away from that? It's it. it there is the, the only sales pitch that I can see for the U.S. men's national team. If both countries really want Dest, the only one that I could see is to say, "Look, you could be a part of a generation that forever changes the landscape of American soccer." And I just don't think that's enough of a, an appeal when you look at the track record, the history, the current leadership, or lack thereof. If I'm Sergino Dest, if I'm sitting in his corner, if I'm meeting with him and advising him, I'm saying, look, if this opportunity is real, if the Dutch national team opportunity is legit, and they're going to give you a real shot and they want you, and you believe that you can be a player on that stage, and you're willing to work like you have never worked before to elevate your game so that you can be in the same conversation as being a regular national team starter and player for this Dutch national team, you need to go with them. Plain and simple. And it's not even close. And anyone out there sitting there looking at Dest saying, I can't believe this guy. How could he do that? You got to get your head out of the sandbox and realize we are nothing in American soccer. We are the laughing stock of the world. They laugh at us when it comes to American soccer. We're not serious about the game. We don't provide opportunity and access across this country. There are a lot of a well, a lot of well-meaning people out there who work really hard. This has nothing to do with them. This has to do with our federation that is letting us down. And they have let this US men's national team side operate and exist in mediocrity for two years. For two years. And it's about time that this, this national team side is going to start gearing up for qualification for the next World Cup. And it's not looking good. Des didn't even get a, a call after the U-20 World Cup for months from this U.S. national team side, from the Federation, checking in, checking up. And we're sitting here acting like we really want him. The lack of competency and leadership from our federation in so many ways, we could go through them over and over again. This is just yet another example. It's unbelievable. And I, I hope, I hope that, you know, if this is a legit opportunity, just personally for him. I don't know him. I've never met him. I've never talked to him. I don't know any of his people. But just for him, I hope that he chooses the Dutch national team because it's, it's the best opportunity for him. And as a player, that's what I want. I would want my kids to have that same opportunity, if, to have the best opportunity possible. So if it is legit and he can make it happen, then, man, kudos to him. And I'll cheer you on. I'll cheer you on. 
Our sponsor this half hour is Ducktig Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. If you go there, check out the t-shirts, check out the journals, and place an order. And when you do, use the promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off of your next order. You will not regret it, I promise you. We will be right back after a word from Ducktick Brand with Andrew Pissarro. Show. Thanks for tuning in today. We are excited to be joined by Andrew Pissarro. He is a producer with Sirius XM and host of the Ghost Goal podcast. Andrew, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing good. Excited to be here. How are you doing, my man? I am doing well, and um, I'm, I'm really glad you hopped on. We share a common connection, and that is uh, Mr. Eric Winalda. Uh, you used to work on his uh, Sirius XM show, and uh, he spoke very highly of you, and I, I wanted to uh, get you on the show and uh, talk a little uh, um, global football with you, a little soccer with you to, to pick your brain and, and, and see what you think about uh, different things. One of those being a, a shared con- common interest, and that is uh, the liver football club they are my second favorite club in the world i'm a barca fan first and foremost but you are a liverpool fan first and foremost so uh going back to may you, you got one over on me um in that uh semi-final epic semi-final after about a week or so i finally was able to kind of get over myself and enjoy uh from a liverpool perspective but I, man i was sick to my stomach that day what was going through your head how many screams were you were you letting out during that match? Um, that was probably the best game of any sport I've ever watched, and I watch pretty much anything. So um, I was watching it at my desk at the office, and you could go down the hall to one of my coworkers, and he's like, I don't think I've ever seen you happy in your life. I was buzzing. I literally... I think I had to go downstairs and do laps around the building to like burn off some of the positive energy that was coming. Like I've never seen a, just a performance like that. And to see, I mean, the Trent Alexander Arnold goal to, um, to the Trent Alexander Arnold goal to Tua Rigi is still like one of the, the most incredible things I've ever seen ever. And to, to, for him to be that young and to do that, it was great. Like I, I watched it at my desk. I freaked out at the office. I, yeah and then just some of the guys who saw me freaking out at the office actually watched the game with me we went out to a bar in in my neighborhood and um my buddy will still send me videos of me like singing you'll never walk alone at the end of that at the end of the champions league final because i was on uh, probably cloud 18 like we were well beyond cloud nine at that point so um 
Speaking of Liverpool, uh, they've started the season and continued uh, their winning ways, uh, whether they're playing extremely well or poorly. Um, they seem to be finding a way to get three points. Um, looking at where things are, uh, what what do you see over the next few months? Do you, do you see Liverpool continuing to hang on at that first spot or – you know, do you, do you see a bump coming down the road? What, what are you looking at it as as you watch this team play? So, like as you mentioned, I do I do the Ghost Goal podcast, and it's I'm a Liverpool fan. We got Chelsea fan, Alex Moss, and uh, an Arsenal fan, Javier Revelo, two guys I went to high school with, and we all break that stuff down every week. And honestly, what I'm seeing is this is the most complete Liverpool team I've ever seen. I know they won the Champions League last year, but I think you know. Doing up 97 points, only losing once in the regular season, obviously to Man City. They come in and they, they have everything they need. There's a couple positions where I'd say, yeah, I'd probably like another backup there. But all in all, like this is the most well-rounded team. They defend well. They know how to score. They've got guys. They've got three guys, in my opinion, probably the best front three in the world, and the best defender in the world. I personally like. I, I'm not saying they're they're going to go the whole season undefeated and, and do what Arsenal did with the under with the the Invincibles, but I, I think this is the team. Like, I think this is the team that's going to finally win the Premier League for Liverpool for the first time. I think this. I think Manchester City, another great team. They may win the Champions League this year, but I think with Manchester City's injuries so far, with Stones who's going to be out a few more weeks and uh, Laporte who's going to be out several more months. I think those are two huge assets for us. I think City will drop, continue to drop points. And I don't think Liverpool will be dropping points as often. Um, and I, I haven't made that prediction on my podcast yet, but I, you know, after starting the season 7-0 and and the way things are looking, provided a couple key players don't get just gruesome injuries, I think this is the team that can really do something special, even more special than last year because because it's been so long since they won an English title. I mean, they're the second most, right, they're back to the most successful club in English history, but to watch United kind of surge past us during the Ferguson era, the club wants a Premier League title more than anything, and I think this is that year. So uh, this summer, uh, not to make you jealous, but uh, this summer I, I was uh, in Liverpool for a day, did a stadium tour of Anfield. Um, it, it, was, it, it was a pretty cool, special place. Um, but uh, speaking of the front three, Sadio Mane, Salah, Firmino. Now, Firmino seems like uh, he wakes up happy, goes to bed happy, never seems to have anything but a smile on his face. Um, but there's been this talk in the beginning of the season between Salah and Mane, and, and um, you know, ESPN uh, had, has a recent article out saying that um, – that there's not a that Mane has denied talks of a rift with Salah after he was seen to be visibly angry with his Liverpool teammate during the uh, the 3-0 win over Burnley in August, um, and uh, he he said these things happen in football. Uh, I was a little bit frustrated. You want to score more goals? We can see Man City's eight uh, nil, but it can happen. He didn't see me. We're really good friends. Um, do you, do you think there's anything there there, or do you think this is just competitors competing in the moment, and uh, you know all is forgiven? They just got to keep moving forward. I think all of this is the media trying to find is something to talk about. Like I think personally, like and it's something my co-hosts have brought up. I'm not worried about it at all. I think you know Jurgen Klopp knows how to keep that that locker room light. He knows how to keep those guys going out there every week but yeah i mean they're, they they want to score goals i mean mane has his upped his goal tally i think every year he's been at the club and obviously you know uh, most law comes in and puts up the 44 goals his first season like and breaks the premier league record they want to score goals and they you know they want to be up for these trophies for being best player in the world and, and you know you do that by scoring and uh, that's that's probably why Firmino, I think, is my favorite player on the team right now. Is that he is, you know, he's a striker who you'll see drop back into the center of midfield and put in a good tackle on somebody. He'll provide an assist when he could have very easily take take goal. Like he scored, I think he scored the most goals ever as a Brazilian in the Premier League. But like he doesn't even take every single one of those chances. He's one of the most selfless, you know, like central cog players to the way that Liverpool play. 
which is why I love him. But watching Mane and Salah play is is also just as just as enjoyable. But I don't think there's really anything there. I, I think those are just two highly competitive guys who want to be the best, want to you know believe in what the club is preaching right now, and want to bring it back to its glory days. So I'm not worried at all. Like I, I'm, there is a zero percent part of me that thinks that I should be worried about a, a Salah and Mane rift. And if either one of them leaves the club because of this, it's going to be a huge detriment. Like Mane tracks back and plays a ton of defense. Salah is probably our best person on the counterattack. They just work so seamlessly together. So I think, I think there's nothing here, to be honest. Now, the club has talked about since the uh, Fenway Sports Group took over that they wanted to turn Liverpool into a destination club, um, that they didn't see themselves as being a club that had to sell on players. Uh, They fought really hard to keep Coutinho before they sold him to Barcelona and, uh, you know, really have tried to make a concerted effort to, to... you know, raise their profile and image around the world to say, hey, we're not just a big club, but we are a destination club. How close do you think Liverpool are to that goal? Do you think they have to win the Premier League this year to kind of cement that status? Or do you think they're already there? I think any player who doesn't want to play for Jurgen Klopp is wrong, personally. Um, He's shown what he's done with the way he's improved so many of our players. Uh, I mean, Jordan Henderson was a player who a lot of people weren't a fan of, and he has now become a very important piece of that midfield. Uh, Salah scored more goals. Mane scoring more goals. Firmino's become the number nine on Brazil because of playing for Jurgen Klopp. People forget that Brendan Rodgers played him out on the wing where he was absolutely useless. Uh, he Trent Alexander-Arnold breaks into the team at 18 and is now the starting right back of the English national team. Andy Robertson comes from from Hull City who got relegated for like $8 million and is now arguably the best left back in the world. I don't, I don't really care about competing with the Manchester Cities or Real Madrid in terms of like financial flexing i care about winning and klopp has shown he can do that with klopp wants his guys and and i think if liverpool come calling and jurgen klopp comes calling i think a lot of guys are going to answer but i'm not necessarily worried about like trying to be i I don't care that they didn't spend any money this summer and frankly the two young kids that they brought in both played in their league cup win last week and i think both of them will have a bright future at the club and it's and and i'm okay with that type of destination too frankly we don't need to go out and sign two more wingers we we if we've got an 18 year old in the club who's coming up and learning from the best then let's give him a run speaking of jordan henderson i am not a fan uh, never been a fan. I don't think I ever will be a fan. Uh, you brought him up about how you, you think he's improved under Klopp. I think he's a dumpster fire. I don't, I, I mean, I get his leadership and, you know, all of that. I still believe that if he was not captain when Jurgen Klopp got there, that he's, that he would not even be there uh, now. That This is my belief. No, no one's ever said this to me. This is just my, yeah. you know, uh, self-formed opinion on this. Um what what are your thoughts on on Jordan? Do you think you think he's a quality player, or you know, because the way I look at the, this Liverpool midfield, I see a lot of room for improvement uh, when everybody's healthy. I would love to see Fabinho and Wijnaldum and Keita be that midfield three versus uh, having a Henderson or a Milner in there. What what do you see in in Liverpool's midfield three? Do you think there is a spot for Jordan in, in that midfield three when everybody's healthy, everybody's at full strength? When everybody's healthy, no, and I, and I think that's okay. Like I, I think, and I think even Klopp would probably admit that. But I think what Jordan Henderson is, and like you've seen this with some of the Chelsea teams over the years, you've seen this with some of the dominant United field teams. There's just a player who works inside the system really well. His energy rate works well. Um, his willingness to defend works well. I mean, the other thing too, I've said this long before and I'll say this long again and I'll take this to my grave. Liverpool lost the league in that Luis Suarez, Steven Gerrard slip year when Jordan Henderson got that red card against Manchester City before the last three games of the season. He was Steven Gerrard's cover uh, playing in that, that 4-4-2 diamond and without him there and putting Joe Allen there, that's you don't want Steven Gerrard playing as a central defensive midfielder. You just don't. And 
that like Henderson provides a lot. Am I going to tell you that I'm his biggest fan? No, but uh, he, I think the guy gets like a lot of unjustified hate when um, you look at overall what he brings to the squad and I think energy level too. And all right, maybe he doesn't play every single perfect pass, but um, yeah. And, and also too, I think once I've been waiting for, I've been saying Navi Cates is going to be good since before he joined Liverpool, I was watching him at Leipzig. I want that guy to come in and be a major part of this midfield three more than any guy in the world. And I would not sacrifice Jordan Henderson for that. Virgil van Dijk's ready to take the, to take the armband. Even Firmino could take the armband. They've got leaders on the team, whether he's, whether Henderson's out there or not. But I think, I think he's a solid player. I think he's a rotational player. And I think that's probably about the same where he belongs in the England lineup. He's a good player, not necessarily great, but I think he still, he provides something. Now, would I want him coming on the 80th minute when we're down by a goal? Probably not, but he does, he does a lot for this team that I think gets, it's the same thing with, with Firmino to some extent where every Liverpool fan will tell you like, Oh, Firmino doesn't get a shine because he does all these things that people quickly forget about. And it's like, I think Henderson, every, every mistake gets highlighted and every good thing he does, that's necessarily doesn't, but that's just my two cents. So uh, wrapping up the, this uh, portion of our, our, of our conversation with Liverpool, I, I want to ask you two hypotheticals. If you could have any player not on Liverpool that is in the premier league, who would you add to this Liverpool team? Wow. Wow. Um, that's tough. That's really tough. You know who I, I think I would take? I think I'd take Bernardo Silva from Manchester City, and I wouldn't use him in the same position that Pep's playing him, playing him more as a winger. I'd kind of try to have him play in the 4-3-3 for Liverpool. Um, that kid's so much fun to watch. I, like, I know I could have said Kevin De Bruyne, but De Bruyne's injury issues the last couple of seasons have me a little wary. And just I think Bernardo Silva's going to be just as good as Kevin De Bruyne. I love watching him play football. And, yeah, that's that's probably who I'd take. It was tough not to say Ngoa Conte, but when you have, when you have Fabinho – you don't need to. So, um, similar question, uh, setting aside Messi or Ronaldo, um, if you could have any other player in the world outside of the premier league for Liverpool, who would you take? Okay. Oh, wow. Oof. Hang on, oh, I'm 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 thinking here. It's just gonna take me a second. Would you want Coutinho back? I don't. I really don't. I don't either. The way, he, the way he, first of all, the way he left probably is like the most like emotionally damaging sporting like. I don't want him back at either team. I don't want him yeah. back at Barcelona um, or Liverpool. <laughs> and he doesn't play. He doesn't play well enough to club system that I'd really want to bring him in. Um maybe I'd go with I feel like I'm going to regret this because I'm going to think of somebody better in like an hour but um, I'd maybe go Matias Delict. not that Liverpool are like lacking at the center back options but um, to put him next to Virgil van Dijk it, like they do for the Dutch national team would be a ton of fun to watch and, and would just be absolutely dominant um, Yeah, I'd probably maybe go that direction um, there's probably a midfielder or two that I'm thinking that I'm not thinking of right now that I'm going to say that that, but I, don't know, I think that's yes, the likes. Not. I have a, a friend of mine um, who is is from the the DC area uh, as well, big Liverpool supporter. He all summer was just clamoring for Liverpool to open the checkbook and bring in Delit to pair with uh, Van Dyke. I mean, he just he was like, dude, it's got to happen, it's got to happen. And I was like, man, I- Jaden Sancho from Dortmund would be a lot of fun too, right? That kick ball, but it, he's not going to start over Salah and Mane, so like he's not. Like they could bring him, he's not going to play much. So it's like Matias like I think that's a move. I think Sancho's a move next summer if this is the big if a Salah or Mane goes to Madrid. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. You know, if 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 they said, hey, look, we could cash in. Madrid has already been rumored to want Mane really bad. Um, 
and and they say, okay, we're going to bring in Sancho as his replacement. Um, I could see that. I definitely agree. Like right now, he's not getting in over those front three. It's it's one of the reasons why when when a lot of Americans were clamoring for Pulisic to be signed to Liverpool this summer or in the, the winter transfer window when Chelsea was, was um, hot on the trail, I was like, where is he going to play? Because I, I just don't. I don't think he he's at the level yet where he can compete with those guys um, to get into the into the team in the front three. And I think he saw that and saw Chelsea as an opportunity with Hazard leaving. Um, that that was a better fit for him, and and now he's gotten there and and it's not going so hot. Um, he's going to get his chances, though. I'm fully confident that he is going to be absolutely okay at Chelsea. I mean, look, like Fabinho didn't start playing until like October, November for Liverpool. For, for Liverpool, um, Manchester City, uh, Tottenham made multiple signings that um, haven't really necessarily panned out just yet for them. That will work out over time. Like. He's, well, he's like, what, 21, 20 years old? He's going to need time to adopt to an entirely just new everyday facet of life. He's going to need time to figure out a new system. And frankly, Frank's still figuring out that system. And and also, too, the club announced yesterday that William's not resigning his contract. Like, that opens up one of the starting wing positions in the coming months. So um, everything's going to be fine. I'm not worried about it in the long run. And And frankly, like, Chelsea know what they're sitting on they'll flip him quickly because they're a team that's trying to restructure things and get back to the top of English football sooner rather than later. So when we look at the, the, the changing landscape of soccer and we could go through all of these different clubs and specific moves and what have you or hypotheticals. One of the things that, that isn't hypothetical is the, the changing of coverage of the game around the world. The technology is continually opening up uh, new opportunities, new doors, um, new channels uh, and, and social media. You have all these different uh, tools and technologies available to cover the sport. In your work, SiriusXM, uh, you know, former producer with with uh, talks football, and and still working with SiriusXM. How do you see the the coverage of you know all sports, not just soccer? Um, how do you see that coverage changing, morphing, um, altering over the the next you know five years, ten years as you know, technology be- becomes more about what's in the palm of your hand rather than the, you know, 70-inch screen hanging on your wall. Um, everything goes digital. Things go on digital. And I think that's nice. Like, I think it's a good thing. I'm not paying for cable. Um, I have a login for my parents' cable package so I can watch NBC Sports and Fox Sports. I'm paying for ESPN+. Plus, But I cannot tell you how many games from World Cups to Champions League to whatever that I've literally watched on my phone uh, luckily, where I live in Brooklyn, the train's above ground, so I get service, and I will watch the games on the way home to to, to and home from work. And I, I I think for me, that's like a really fascinating thing. It's giving people the opportunity to to pick and choose the content they want when they want it, and it's it's less of like the only thing that I really view on any regularly scheduled time is a live sporting event. Everything else I'm either watching when I have the chance to sit down and give it a hundred percent of my concentration, and that doesn't scare me. I know it definitely does with other people and cause it's what you know, people have been dealing with for 40, 50 years. And for me, I'm 26. Like I want to, I want to absorb my content when I'm in the best place to absorb my content. And I think that's good for both the producer, the production value, the talent, but also the, the consumer and the viewer personally, but not everybody agrees with me on that. In terms of the actual coverage of a match, um, what what do you see if you, like if you could experiment with how a Premier League match, for example, is covered on NBC Sports, um, or you know a World Cup match is covered? Uh, what were, what would be some things as a producer if you're putting putting on your producer hat for a minute that you would be pitching at your bosses as ideas? Hey, what what could we could we try this? What what are some ideas that you think would be uh, interesting for the audience as this technology becomes more accessible, becomes uh, smaller in some cases, so it's not in the way of play in terms of whether that's a, a video camera or a microphone, etc. 
I mean, I think NBC does. I, I think universally NBC across the board in terms of like their their sports uh, their sports work, like the the coverage they do is usually really really top notch. Um, I've probably had the best experience of any of the content providers for soccer games with NBC. But I, I think only the, the only thing I'd probably like to see more, and you see this in certain in certain sports, is like, and and I know that they've made this joke, but like the clop cam or like like a messy cam or something like that. Like if you have a special player on the pitch like that, like do the thing where the the image on the TV is a little bit smaller so that you can put a small screen on the side to like watch the exact player movements of like a specific player. If you wanted to watch Angolo Conte drift around the field for Chelsea or you want to watch Messi drift in and out of that right wing spot. I think that would be something, but I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a big sucker for at least with the way I like the way the content is fed to somebody is something I feel like I can influence a little bit more, but the way they're producing live games and stuff, like I really, that's not necessarily my biggest forte. It's or, or really something I've ever wanted to get into. Um, so I, I think it's good as it is. And I, I really don't think that there is a lot of room for change. Now in, in the realm of American soccer, uh, not really anything we've other than talking about Christian Pulisic, uh, not anything we've really even talked about so far. And we're, you know, uh, quite a ways into this conversation talking premierly talking global soccer. Um, when I travel over to Europe and, and talk with people, major league soccer and the American soccer system is, is not, really ever discussed except for a phrase or a sentence a statement that goes something like you know uh when are you guys ever going to figure out how to do the game um you know basically this this uh perpetual state of unmet um potential um that is american soccer when you look at major league soccer and you look at the american soccer landscape what are some areas where as a fan you know you're you're an avid liverpool supporter what are some areas that you see when you watch a premier league match versus major league soccer or the usl where you're like man if this was better if this was better if this was changed you know i i would feel like watching or, or really making it something that you, you wanted to, to, you know, spend a lot of time covering, etc. I mean, player quality is a big part of that. I think there are certain teams in the MLS that aren't necessarily signing the high or looking to sign the highest profile of player. And I mean, this is the, the world's most popular sport. Like you have guys in the MLS that are making a couple hundred thousand a year. There are guys in England who are making that in two weeks. Like, I'd like to see more investment in the player. I'd like to see more investment in the pitch. I'd like to see, like, I'm sorry, playing soccer on, on artificial turf is, like, I'm not even, didn't necessarily grow up playing soccer, but any genius can tell you that playing soccer on an artificial pitch is not going to end well. Um, I'd, um, and also, too, like, I, I, there, are, there are definitely days that I don't think that the MLS is marketing itself to its audience as well as it could like look a soccer game takes a regular season soccer game takes two hours i understand that people like oh i want to bring my kids to the match but you got to realize that on a sunday from late august all the way through february you're losing to the nfl you've got to realize that on a sunday from august all the way through the end of december you're losing to college football tuesday and wednesday are electric days for the champions league how is the mls not figured out that you could be watching soccer on a Saturday, on a Tuesday, Wednesday at your desk from one o'clock to three o'clock, three o'clock to five o'clock, get home, get changed and head out to your local team and watch a game. doesn't make sense to me that we're not seeing more of that. And, and like just going up against American style football is something that soccer is always going to lose at. And like I watch the Premier League on Saturday and Sunday morning and then I watch college football or I go to work or watch the NFL. Like that's my that's my day. Like I don't always have time to sneak in some of those MLS games, even the ones that are really good. And it's just getting and even, even even still, like I watched I think the LA the the LA Derby, I'm blanking on El Trafico a couple months ago or like a month ago. And that was after like a long day of, of other stuff going on in the sports world. But it was a great way to end the night because it was an exciting game. It was entertaining. They needed like just market some of these big 
the biggest matches just a little bit better and also to put some of the games that maybe aren't going to be as electric put them on a night where they're going to win you know what i mean like put them on a night where they're going to be potentially the number one play on sports center that's that's what i would do but so looking at where we are and obviously knowing that we are you know domestically our league, our national team on the men's side is nowhere near the level of the rest of the world. How, how far behind do you think we are? I mean, when you look, when you watch a Liverpool face off against Manchester city, which is the, the, the peak of club soccer in the world, uh, a Barcelona versus a Madrid an Ajax, Juventus. I mean, you're not finding better quality matches around the world than, than those matches I just mentioned. How does Major League Soccer, how far behind is Major League Soccer on reaching that level of play? It's two things. It's owners and youth. It's let's get some owners who want to go out and spend some money. Like what Atlanta United has come in and done. What, let's give me more of that. What LAFC has done. Give me more of that. Hopefully this inter Miami thing does that. I'm so sick and tired of seeing an MLS team with one designated player. Frankly, if I was the MLS, I would try to get rid of the salary cap altogether. Like let the owners come in and spend the money because all of those European players come to the United States every offseason they love coming to la they love miami they love new york they can fall in love with chicago and dc and 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 northern california and some of the other great cities we have here if you build it they will come let's ditch a salary cap but also to frankly like i agree with eric pay to play is probably siphoning away some of the best talent because you're not giving kids the opportunity to play out of a situation as much you're not giving them like you don't have like the same style of aau teams where if you play well you get bumped up to a better team you're like pay to play is just i I honestly think it's hurting so much potential development i mean that's why christian went to St. Dortmund, and that's why a lot of you know seeing the same thing with a bunch of the other young americans in germany is they're going there because they have somebody who brought them there and i don't necessarily believe that the mls system is going to help develop all the best American talent personally. If you were uh, last question, if you were if you were king of American soccer for a day, you were in charge, you have absolute supreme power. Obviously this is a very hypothetical situation, but uh, I want you to imagine that you have not just a giant sandbox, but you have all of the power in the sandbox to do whatever you want in the landscape of American soccer. Uh, what would you do with your day in charge? Um, number one, pay the women the same as the men. Number two, um, outlaw artificial pitches to be used for soccer. Um, and to take one from Eric's book, I'd put us on the FIFA calendar. Um, we'll figure out the winter. They can do it in Germany. They can do it in England. We'll figure it out. Um, the fact that we have MLS playing at the same time as an international break is embarrassing. Um, uh, I think I'd abolish college soccer too, or just change the college soccer idea. Like the, like the MLS trying to do a draft from college soccer. I don't really think you're getting anything out of it. I would try to like harp more on the academy system. You know, Steven Gerrard played for Liverpool from like age eight all the way until he was in like mid thirties. You, you never hear about that with, with the MLS. Let's build something like that. I like where your head's at, um, and I like uh, I, I like your thoughts on uh, what you would do with your day in charge. Uh, our women do need to be treated um, equally by this federation, and I hope that uh, between Hope Solo's lawsuit, the U.S. Women's National Team lawsuit, uh, as well as uh, some of the other lawsuits and legal challenges that we will see some changes to the U.S. Soccer Federation and the ecosystem uh, in the days, months, weeks, and years to come. Um, Andrea, I really appreciate you coming on the show, spending some time with us, chatting with us about Liverpool. And um, like I said, it was uh, it was heartbreaking in the moment back in May of 2019 at Anfield that historic night as a as a Barcelona supporter that night um, but you know after after a week of of getting over it it was magical to go back and, and watch through the eyes of a Liverpool fan and see 
the joy and uh, the amazing miracle that was that 4-0 win that night. So, um, look, good luck on uh, the season as a Liverpool fan. I'm rooting for them to win the Premier League. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully at the end of this uh, season, this campaign, they'll lift their first Premier League trophy. It's hard to imagine that it's taken this long, but hopefully they get it done this year. Yeah, it's our year this year. You heard it here first. All right. I, I'm with you. Well, Andrew, thanks for coming on the show. Really do appreciate it. My, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. for coming on and uh, having a chat with us. Um, you know, earlier in the show, we were looking at Serginho Dest and, and his choice uh, before him, the Dutch national team versus uh, an opportunity with the U.S. men's national team. And one of the things that we were talking about was leadership. Um, and, you know, when you look at the U.S. men's national team and you look at the U.S. Soccer Federation, which runs and administers and is, is over the U.S. men's national team, you see this dearth of leadership, this just void of leadership, and there, there's not a bold vision. There's not a plan. There, there's, there's nothing to go off of when you are um, evaluating a choice like that for a player like Dest. It's just not there. And, um, you know, even if you're not a player and you're facing, you know, a dual national opportunity, whether it's, you know, Germany and the U.S., whether it's the Netherlands and the U.S., Mexico in the U.S., um, you know, when you, it doesn't, you can set all of that aside. This had, it, it goes beyond the national team. It, it goes all the way down into the grassroots of our game, the grassroots of American soccer. Parents are constantly facing dysfunction and choices as a result of dysfunction because of the system, because of a lack of leadership, because of a lack of vision and purpose from our federation. I said this at the top of the show, and I'll say it again. If I were in charge of American soccer, if I was the president of the U.S. Soccer Federation, I would sit every stakeholder down and I would say this, that I believe that American soccer, that the United States of America, when it comes to soccer, can be, and I think should be, the greatest soccer country on earth. And I will not stop until everyone in this country has an opportunity and access to get us there. And we've got to figure out a plan to make that happen. That would be my conversation with every stakeholder. That's our overriding number one worldview, mission, purpose, etc. I don't think that the, that the purpose or the mission statement of U.S. soccer goes far enough to make it the preeminent sport. That's all gobbledygook. That's all fancy schmancy. That's, it's, it's very vague. How do you hold yourself accountable, accountable to just being a preeminent sport? How do you measure that? 
I can certainly measure if we're the greatest soccer country on earth. If we're not winning World Cups and winning uh, CONCACAF championships and, and if we're not sending teams to the Club World Cup because our domestic league is not strong enough, if we're not producing world-class level players, if all of those things aren't happening, then we can't even get into the conversation about the greatest soccer country on earth. Tangible things. In a recent interview, Angel Di Maria, who is uh, an Argentine teammate of Lionel Messi, was talking about at the, the 2019 Copa America that there was a little bit of a different Messi with the team. And that after they lost in the semifinals to Brazil, that Messi addressed the team. And when he got done speaking, that a lot of the players were in tears. That he just gave this really impassioned, moving speech. And, he, and, and, and Di Maria welcomed that. He really liked it. He enjoyed it. And he said, I hope I see more of this Messi, this verbal leader. The point is not that you have to be a great orator. You don't have to get up and give amazing speeches. And you don't even have to be the loudest person in the room to be a great leader. But you do have to lead. And for whatever reason, I don't know why Messi began to step up during that Copa America and speak up and be louder in public and behind closed doors with his teammates. But he did, and they appreciated, and that leadership made a difference. Di Maria spoke about the camaraderie in the locker room, the sense of unity and purpose with the team. Man for man, talent for talent, they had no business being on the field with Brazil. Were there questionable calls? Did those calls affect the outcome of the game? Absolutely. Was Messi right in speaking up? Yes, he should have. But the real key, the real moment, as Di Maria pointed out, was the, the moment of, of in that locker room. It all came to a culmination where Di Maria was like, this, we need this. And what he was really saying was not he needs a loud messy. What he was really looking for and what Argentina has been struggling with for a long time is leadership. And I'm not just talking about leadership from, from Messi. I'm talking about leadership all the way around. Their federation has been in shambles from an organizational standpoint. A lot of corruption, a lot of mismanagement, a lot of derisiveness between the, the federation and the team. So anything you've seen out of Argentina over the last 10 years has really been in spite of its federation, in spite of the lack of leadership. And Di Maria noted when he saw leadership and when, when Messi spoke up and, and, and was more uh, vocal about certain things during this World Cup, I mean, excuse me, Copa America, it, it resonated with him. He felt a sense of, of reassurance and leadership coming from his captain. And that's really a microcosm of what we look at. When, when I'm looking at where we are as a U.S. men's national team program, it is a microcosm of the federation itself. We are wandering around in a desert looking for water in mountains and hills of sand. We just have no purpose. We have no direction. And when challenged, you get fights fight back from the Federation, defensiveness from the Federation, rather than a willingness to work together. They want to fight you. They want to argue with you. They want to make things harder for you. They don't lead. And then when you complain or when you challenge or when you say, hey, I'll do this, I'll take this burden on. They're like, no, we got this because we're doing something else. We know better than you. It's just not good enough from a leadership standpoint. It's not good enough from a federation that is the national governing body of American soccer. One way or the other, 
if we're going to get out of this, if we're going to keep our U.S. women's national team at the top, we cannot take them for granted. We can't take the, the success that they have had for granted. Other countries are starting to invest. They are starting to pour resources in. And you're going to see over the next 5, 10, 15 years, these leagues and these players in Europe and all around the world keep getting better and better. That's going to make it more difficult, not easier for the U.S. women's national team. We have amazing players on our women's team and in the player of pools for up for consideration for our women's national team. And we need to support them, not fight them. We need to treat them with the dignity that they, that they deserve to get the pay that they have earned, the opportunity and the access that they need. Every player in this country should get opportunity and should get access. Every club should get the same. We've got to quit turning our coaching licensing programs into gatekeeper moments, gatekeeper situations where we can control and limit access. We should be trying to get every coach in this country the highest level of licensing possible. Get them educated and connected and networked because the future generations of this country are depending on it. And ultimately, our national teams will benefit from it. We've got to set aside all of this this disregard For giving everyone an opportunity. We are pricing families out left and right. We see kids all over this country who love the sport, but no longer participate in the U.S. soccer system. It's going to take leadership. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take a bold vision, but I think we can get there. I believe in the potential of this country. I believe in, in giving opportunity and access to get us there. And if we ever get that right, if we ever get that right, watch out. Absolutely watch out. I'd like to thank uh, all of our guests this week, Andrew Pissarro, for joining us today. As always, you can watch the show on facebook.com forward slash WRKMN. Facebook.com forward slash WRKMN and at DanielWertman.com. Also, connect with me on Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. Hope you have a great weekend. Look forward to chatting with everyone again on Monday. We'll see everybody then.